This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, Brooke Nindorf with you today for The Country Hour here in a bit of an overcast Port Lincoln. We'll check in with the uh, Weather Bureau very shortly. Also coming up, with so much rain around and roads being closed, it's becoming increasingly difficult for livestock to be transported. It's uh, almost impossible to get stock either in or out. We've had people want to purchase stock and uh, would love to but just can't get them in and uh, other people that have purchased stock from here and want to get them out. It's the first time in 15 years as me being an agent that I've actually sold some cattle and the deal's been done and five weeks later both parties have shaking their head and say, look, just forget about it, it's just too hard. We'll hear more on that one shortly, but how are you looking if you had to hold on to stock because you just can't get it out with the transport not being able to get to your place? You can send me a text on 0467 922 We'd love to also hear from you how your harvest is going. Have you uh, been able to start? Have you been able to st- uh, start and then have to stop again? Let me know. Send me a text. We'd love to hear from you today. But first on the program, the first shipment of this season's grain has set off for international markets. 24,000 tonnes of wheat from the Viterra system left the Thevenard port terminal this week. Viterra General Manager of Supply Chain, Derek Robjohn, says it's the start of a record-breaking forward shipping that has been booked. It's actually um, probably a little bit later from a, from a season point of view. Our first vessel uh, loaded 24,000 tonnes of wheat out of Thevenard. So it's actually great to see Thevenard contributing as, as the first vessel for the year and the vessel was destined to China. Where does this um, uh, wheat sit in, in terms of forward shipping that's already been booked? Yeah, the, um, the forward shipping that we've had um, requested for this year is actually um, a a record-breaking 7 million tonnes um, through the Viterra network for the season 22-23. Um, it's actually made up of 18 different exporters, which is which is a fantastic opportunity for our, um, our grower customers because um, it means there's actually increased demand uh, and increased competition for their grain, um, which they deliver to the Viterra network. Is this mainly all uh, far west local grain? Uh, the Thevenard uh, vessel um, certainly was, but across the entire network, uh, making up the, the record forecasters for across all ports. So a majority of our ports are, um, are near record export shipping for the year and, and strong demand across um, all our ports from Thevenard all the way um, to our ports at Adelaide. So they've had the uh, the first shipment. Uh, what's the sort of uh, program now moving forward? Uh, we've actually got uh, very strong demand for harvest across all our ports um, with several known vessels um, on the Viterra shipping stem. Uh, and then uh, it's, it's pretty well a, a fully um, blocked out um, or booked shipping uh, stem through to through to next year. Um, so uh, with seven million tonnes um, on the shipping stem, uh, it's certainly a, a big increase on last year's um, export demand that we've had. We we're very excited from a harvest, uh, sorry, from a shipping perspective that Viterra um, has actually uh, had strong demand across the next five years from from an export point of view. So uh, we've had requests of upwards of over twenty million tonnes of requests across the next five years, which really does put um, South Australian grain in the in the box seat for for meeting demand um, and and linking the, the growers to. to major exporters. What does that mean for, for SA growers? What it means is that there's confidence, there's there's competition uh, year on year for, for South Australian grain and means that uh, the trader are uh, linked to the grower. 
to uh, fulfil their their overall uh, export demands um, that they've got uh, to meet the the global um, requirements moving forward. How has Harvest uh, been so far for uh, for the Viterra system? Yeah, uh, the harvest this uh, this year has certainly been a little bit slower with a with a very late spring. Um, we're actually seeing pretty good quality um, coming in so far. Um, we've actually um, we're. Uh, identified some, I guess, uh, some downgrading uh, which is occurring, but we've actually been working with our with our grower customers and our um, relationships that we've got with our end users. One of the uh, um, ways that we've actually tried to maximise grower returns is we've actually introduced dynamic binning um, for dark tipping in our malt varieties, um, which is fantastic. So it provides the maltsters more opportunity uh, for a selection and also ensures that the growers are are uh, maximising their values. So Viterra is actually taking uh, the responsibility on to, to, to achieve what the maltster is looking for um, from a dark tipping perspective, and um, it's been great to bridge the gap between the, the, the grower uh, as well as the, the end user. Is there one region that's uh, been the busiest uh, compared to others across the state? Yeah, the, the western region certainly um, been the, the busiest so far. Uh, traditionally, it's always the first to the first to start. Unfortunately, the weather sort of um, slowed us down across the board. But um, we're, fingers crossed, we'll be back into it very shortly and, and keep uh, keep um, moving grain um, to, to meet the end user demand as well as maximising the, the the opportunity to, to get grain to market for the grower. And what's been coming in so far, Derek? Majority of uh, the grain that's been coming in has actually um, been feed barley, and, and um, we've we've seen some canola. But in, obviously, um, with the first vessel going out of Thevenard for wheat, um, we've seen wheat in the western region uh, probably at level peaking with barley at this stage. Viterra General Manager of Supply Chain, Derek Rob Johns. To the southeast now, and with the occasional hailstorms, major weather systems, thunder and lightning. And all in between, the occasional day above 20 degrees. It's not great harvesting conditions. In fact, it's not even good harvesting conditions. And farmers, always looking to the future, are concerned about the impact this delay in harvesting will have on feed supply for livestock next year. Beck Chave spoke with local business operator Adam Smith and asked what local farmers are reporting. They're struggling to get onto the paddocks. A lot of farmers at the moment are going silage, not hay, so that may affect hay results for next year like say in a crisis for the Mount Gambia hay run or other hay runs that we might not have the hay around to help farmers out. And in terms of the farmers feeding their own livestock as well next year what are they concerned about? Not having enough feed because at the moment it's just too wet like this time of year they're knocking the hay down uh, getting ready to cut and bale and they're really struggling with that at the moment. How long is this going to go on for? I mean, is there something that could remedy itself in these next few months if, if the wet season sort of comes to an end? What I've been told by the farmers, and yeah, this could be going on through to Christmas time or afterwards. So yeah, it could be a worrying time for a lot of farmers. I know on social media, there's a lot of stru- farmers struggling at the moment. We need to act on that. Just reach out to a farmer and say, good day, see how they're going. Because I know they are struggling trying to, to harvest. I know tractors are getting bogged and, yeah, it's just going to be a worrying time for them, that's for sure. And in terms of switching from hay feed to silage, is there a cost that farmers are incurring in doing that? Yes, they're going to wrap them and then, yeah, like different transport companies have come in and cut them away for them and, yeah, it's just when they're uh, cutting hay, they usually do it most themselves. They have got contractors to do it. There's extra charge for plastics and, and then... When they cut up the silage, they're going to put, put the plastic somewhere. So that's 
that's got to go into to the rubbish and that's extra cost and yeah there's different factors and means with silage compared to hay. And is it just hay that's been impacted here? I mean, what other harvests are we talking about here? Oh, we're going to look at um, cereals as well and bean crops. The bean crops, I know, have been, they've been washed away as well and I know, I know that's going to affect like exports next year and we're also going to look at cereals as well where the cost of cereals will go up because we just ha- haven't got the crops going on at the moment. Have you seen something like this before? No, I haven't. But I've, I've been talking to a few farmers through my business, uh, as far as Pimpinio and Streaky Bay and a few others, and they said this is just a cycle. They've they've seen it once or twice before on their lifetimes. So these farmers I've talked to, they're about eighty, and they said, "Oh, we, we've seen this once or twice." And yeah, it's just a cycle. But we all know what farmers are like. They roll up their sleeves and have a crack, and they just deal with it. What kind of a financial impact is this going to have, though, on on local producers? Oh, it's going to be huge. Like the business I've got, I, I sell vehicles. I I had a bike come down from Riverland yesterday. He sells avocados, and he's lost 80% of his crop because the weather's too wet. Uh, so moving forward, it's just going to affect everything. It's just like cherries and all that. that at the moment, that's all gone up. So next year, things are just going to go up even more. We've just really got to reach out to farmers and support them where we can. And I think like what I did with the truck, mate, we, we need to do something with the farmers because I know they do it good, but there's just sometimes it's just going to get too hard for them. And, yeah... And I know a lot of the crops are underwater and they are struggling. And, yeah, so we need to reach out for a farmer and say g'day. Definitely some wise advice there. That was Southeast Business Operator Adam Smith speaking with Beck Chave. It's coming up to a quarter past 12. Last year, ABC Gives raised an amazing $1.5 million for more than 15 charity partners across Australia. This year, ABC South Australia and Broken Hill are teaming up with Food Bank to raise that amount and more to help people in your local community struggling to cope with rising living costs. There's big need out there and Australians have big hearts and generous spirits. So join with us and help brighten your community. Head to abc.net.au slash gives to donate today. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, as wet weather has dominated parts of South Australia and also into the far west New South Wales, it's caused a number of road closures, which has impacted stock movement. The unpredictability of rain and flooding has caused a strain on station owners, stock agents and people working in transportation. Yusuf Saudi spoke with co-owner of Yunta Transport, Nikki Gator, about how the weather has impacted the business. Well, it's slowed down and it's very off and on because of the rain, because of the wet roads. Dirt roads, we can't get into anywhere when it's wet or when the roads are closed. If they're supposed to do something this week, it gets put back until the roads dry up. We do it next week, but then that impacts on next week's loads that we've already got booked in, so we've got to get help in, like subcontractors, to help us out to deal with the roads when they do open because there's so much that need to go while the roads are open until in case it rains again because that's what it's been doing. We've just been getting small windows to get stock out. Right, and so is that common for you in your business? When it rains, it is common. That's what happens. But this this has been going on for a couple of months now. Usually it rains and it goes away and the roads dry out in a couple of days and we're right to go. But it's just kept raining. So it, it's a little bit different at the moment than it usually is. So what kind of livestock are you dealing with and whereabouts have you had to travel? So we we cart goats, sheep and cattle. We do the whole Western Division in the northeast of South Australia. 
we really stop from WA and we go into Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales. So we go everywhere, but we our area that we cut out of or into usually is western New South Wales and the northeast of South Australia. Right, and so how has the wet weather impacted transporting across Australia? We've got to check out roads, and it's not only dirt roads now that we've got to check. I spent about six hours trying to map a way to an abattoir in Victoria to take goats from Whitecliffs and get them to this uh, abattoirs in Victoria and I had to use the Vic Roads app. I have to use the live New South Wales traffic app. If we go into Queensland, I've got to use Traffic Queensland app and I've got to find out which roads are open and which roads are closed. <laughs> and if, that, if I do that in two to three days' time, I've got to make sure that those roads are still open in two or three roads days' time because they do close no, with no notice. And how many livestock would you normally transport in a week and how how many are you able to at the moment? Oh, that depends. goes from week to week. Um, we've got three trucks of our own. We've got two, two subcontractors and usually those five trucks are working all the time. Plus I bring other trucks in from elsewhere to help us out. But yeah, like it gives you, if you can't go anywhere, you can't load anywhere because of the wet, that then puts those jobs for this week onto next week, basically, or the next few days once you dry out, and then you've got to bring more contractors in. So it's just a juggling game, basically. And I imagine, like, what financial impact is this bringing at the moment for your business? There is downtime, and of course it's, it's, it is financially impacting us, but it's financially impacting everybody. The cockies can't get their sheep out. The sheep are getting flybone because there's so much water around and the flies are bad, and it's just a... A sort of a vicious circle. We want to help them. We can't. We can't get there. They can't shear because they can't get shearers in or crutches. And it, yeah, it's just that's what the wet does. Do you reckon you know how much money it's impacted completely across across the board? I, no, I'd hate to even guess a lot, but I'd hate to guess hundreds of thousands. That's with um, including us and the cockies that can't get their sheep out, they can't get them to market and stuff like that. Yeah, it'd be three or four jobs a week, sometimes five that we've cancelled. Depends how wet it is. And those jobs can be from that that could add up to between twenty and fifty thousand dollars. So no week's the same. So it's very hard to estimate how much the impact on our on our business is. That was Nikki Gator from Yanta Transports. Livestock agent Troy Hardman says he's seen some of the most difficult moments in trading in 15 years. The last two or three weeks especially, it's uh, almost impossible to get stock either in or out. We've had people want to purchase stock and uh, would love to but just can't get them in. And uh, other people that have purchased stock from here want to get them out. It's the first time in 15 years as me being an agent that I've actually sold some cattle and the deal's been done and five weeks later both parties have shaking her head and say, look, just forget about it, it's just too hard. That was stock agent Troy Hardman finishing that story by Yusuf Saudi and also Sarah McConnell. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. We're going to head to the Weather Bureau soon, but before that, let's get the latest from the markets. We're joined by Peter Kerr. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon, Brooke. This is the Mount Gambier Cattle Report for the 23rd of November. Numbers to East is Asia Cattle, 836 head of live weight and open auction cattle. Feeds by to a large field of trade and processor buyers, along with feeder and restocker interest. Quality was generally good as the market again sold at cheaper rates. 
Dealer steers to the trade made from 486 to 520 cents with similar heifers making from 430 to 530. Leaders were active on steers from 445 to 542 cents and on heifers to 390 with some restockers support to 520 cents a kilogram over both sexes. Yearlings were small in number. Steers made from 444 to 466 cents. Similar heifers from 382 to 450. Feeders sought steers from 442 to 476 and heifers from 400 to 442 cents a kilogram. Crown steers and bullocks made from 380 to 470 cents a trade buys, which was down 18 cents. Feeders operating from 405 to 480. Crown heifers returned from 410 to 444 cents to the trade with feeder activity from 405 to 480 as manufacturing steers made from 340 to 368 cents a kilogram. Heavy cows these 15 cents, they returned from 326 to 358 with lighter types ranging from 290 to 316 with feeder activity from 345 to 370 cents a kilogram. Heavy bulls ranged from 323 to 366 cents a kilogram. Brookoff also got the SALE reports from yesterday. At the sheep and lamb side, there was a similar size yarding of 6,119 mixed-quality crossbred and merino lambs, which sold a fluctuating demand from the usual array of feeder, restocker and processor buyers. The yarding lacked the polish of recent weeks and prices for the best heavyweight crossbred lambs lifted as a consequence. However, the numbers of store-quality light and medium-weight crossbred and merino lambs ensured that prices for these ties eased by 5 to $10. Hogger prices again plummeted, with some values being diminished by 20 to $30 a head. Light crossbred lambs from 70 to 95, light trays from 100 to 150, heavy crossbred lambs from 160 to 205 dollars with the extra heavies from 220 to the high of 240. Light merino lambs from 60 to 100 dollars with light trays from 110 to 135. There were insufficient to quote on the heavy merino lambs. Light hoggets range from 70 to 85, the heavy ties from 90 up to 160. At the following sheep sale, there was another large yarding of 4,127 mixed sheep, which sold a very tepid competition supply by the usual processor buyers. The quality of the ewes in particular was good and demand was restrained, with some restocker interest being evident. However, this was only sporadic. Weathers were again in short numbers. They sold at similar rates to the ewes and rams, and rams were again friendless, with values easing on last week's already easing rates. Light sheep ranged from 65 to 105, the heavy types from 110 to 150. Light weathers from 70 to 115, the heavy weathers from 120 to 135, as rams ranged from 40 to $120 a head. Following on from that, there was a small but very good quality yarding of mixed cattle, which sold at easy rates from a large crowd of prospective buyers. Heavyweight steers and heifers were the most affected by the easing trend. Prices diminished by 50 to 80 cents a kilogram live weight. Lightweight cattle remained relatively unaffected by the easing trend, but cows and bulls also eased by 30 to 50 cents a kilogram. Dealers to the trade from 450 to 540, yearlings to the trade from 400 to 480. Store buyers sought the vealers from 500 to 610 cents, the yearlings from 480 to 540 cents. Heavy cows from 260 to 300 cents, lighter types from 250 to 270. The light bulls from 450 to 600 cents, the heavy bulls from 280 up to the high of 440 cents a kilogram. This has been Peter Kerr for the MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks very much, Peter. Peter Kerr there. Let's head to the Weather Bureau now. We're joined by Tom Bowie. Good afternoon, Tom. Hello, Brooke. Now, it's uh, quite overcast here in Port Lincoln. How's it uh, looking around the rest of the state? Yes, okay. Look, um, so we still do have uh, 
some of this cloud cover over, um, I suppose, much of, most of the agricultural area, um, and that's been associated with a southwesterly airstream with a high-pressure system uh, over the, the bite region there. So just bringing those cooler um, cooler air sort of um, over the state and uh, yeah, generating some cloud over, those, uh, over the agricultural area there. Further to the north, however, it's clear skies and uh, generally sunny over the pastoral Flinders districts and, and also over much of the sort of west coast district there as well. Now it is uh, yeah, again sort of mainly dry uh, for today. There is still some uh, just a chance of some isolated uh, light brief showers for the um, the uh, southern agricultural area for today but there's sort of very little in that and it will be contracting to the lower southeast coast this morning so not much in that at all. Um, into Thursday, uh, then looks like uh, some early fog is possible for the southeastern Murrayland districts. Uh, the day, however, will be dry and uh, temperatures will be coming up somewhat. The high pressure system uh, is moving eastwards, expected to be centred sort of near Mount Gambier by the end of Thursday there. Uh, so winds mostly light, tending somewhat northerly uh, as we move into the uh, sort of western and northern parts of the state. Uh, so it should be mild and partly cloudy for the southeast district on, on Thursday and, and warmer and mostly sunny elsewhere. So temperatures even rising to the hot range in the far north and the far west. Uh, so, yeah, dry day throughout coming for Thursday. For Friday, though, uh, that changes for the west of the state. We do have some shower and thunderstorm activity developing in the far west of the state associated with a uh, approaching low pressure trough. Um, that activity will gradually extend eastwards but uh, only reaching up to about Coober to Sejuna during the evening there. Remainder of the state remaining dry. Notably uh, with the northerly winds uh, in sort of increasing on Friday um, temperatures rising yeah so a warm day for the southeast districts but generally hot for the remainder of the state um, uh, in those northerly winds. There will be a milder southwest to southerly change in the far west later on Friday. For Saturday, the showers and possible thunderstorms are extending to most districts as that change moves across from the west. Um, the thunderstorms will tend to clear over the west coast district during the afternoon and for the remainder of their peninsula and the agricultural area in the evening. Not expecting a lot of thunderstorms, but nevertheless they are a possibility. Uh, and still warm to hot uh, in those northerly winds ahead of the change, becoming cooler, moderate to fresh southwesterly following the change. Timing on that looks like... Um, uh, it's in the west during uh, early Saturday and extending eastwards during the day, reaching the far northeast late evening. For Sunday then, some showers and isolated thunderstorms still over the north of the pastoral and Flinders districts, still with a change uh, lingering through that area, uh, but they'll be gradually contracting northwards to be confined to the far northeast in the later part of the evening. Further to the south, uh, we'll, we'll have some showers in the milder airstream over the agricultural area and for remaining western coasts, uh, and generally temperatures will be in the cool in the south, grading to warm to hot in the far northeast. Uh, so for the period of Monday to, Monday to Wednesday next week, Still got some isolated showers for the agricultural area in that uh, uh, cooler airstream, but uh, not too much in it, and they'll be contracting southwards to be confined to the southern agricultural area on Tuesday <clears throat> and down to the lower southeast by later on Wednesday. Temperatures look like being in the range of cool to mild uh, uh, in the south, grading up to warm in the far north, and generally winds light to moderate southwest to uh, southeasterly. Now... Um, yeah, look, rainfall totals uh, for now until the end of, of Sunday there. Uh, got a pretty broad range, generally expected to be in the range of, of 1 to, to 10 millimetres there and uh, mostly sort of, I guess, on 
Friday in the west there and then extending across for, for Saturday, uh, possibly sort of through the northern parts on Sunday there is is the major period of, of potential precipitation there. Uh, we do have still have a chance of some totals of 10 to 20 millimetres. They're possible with isolated thunderstorms over parts of the pastoral and Flinders districts and also the far west of the state and possibly for parts of the northern agricultural area. Uh, I think those higher totals will be fairly isolated though, Brooks. So um, it's back to you now. Thanks very much, Tom. That was Tom Bowick at the Bureau of Meteorology. Let's have a look at the western inlands for tomorrow. Upper western sunny with some light winds becoming southeasterly, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour. Before dawn, then tending southeast to southwesterly in the middle of the day. Overnight temperatures falling to between 12 and 16, with daytime temperatures reaching around 30. For the lower western, mostly sunny, light winds becoming southwesterly, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour in the late afternoon, then becoming light in the evening. Overnight temperatures fall Falling to around 11, with daytime temperatures reaching the mid to high 20s. Plenty more still to come on the country app, including the issues of uh, potatoes and supplies overseas. So we'll hear about that and flooded bees as well. It hasn't been a very good year for uh, for beekeepers. More on that, plus plenty more coming up on the country hour. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Brooke Nindorf. Brooke Nindorf. Hello, thanks for your company. Coming up over the next half an hour, the name Prosecco. It's very well known not only here in Australia, but right across the world. But the wine industry is fighting the European Union over the right to use the name Prosecco, with producers potentially being forced to take the word off their labels. I think in the short term it'd be, it'd be very... Uh, I think it'd be economically damaging, without a doubt. Probably over a period of time there's a chance that we might work our way through that. But I, I, think, I think we've got to be careful. We're not allowed to, we're not allowed to give any ground because it's... It's the use of the name of a great variety, I think, Annie, and that's important. As far as, you know, yeah, how much cost, good, good question. We'll hear more about that very shortly. There's been some meetings that have taken place in Canberra on this very topic, uh, but I want to hear from you. If it can't be called Prosecco, what do you think it could be called here in Australia? I'd like you to be creative, so send me a text on 0467922891. Plus, we've got plenty more coming up very shortly. We're going to hear from a beekeeper in New South Wales who has had a pretty horrific year um, with his bees, and it's been uh, sort of the case for beekeepers right across the country. But before that, let's find out what's happening in the newsroom. We're joined by Matt Coleman. Good afternoon, Matt. Hello, Brooke. In the news this afternoon, Food Bank South Australia has been activated to provide food supplies as part of the River Murray flood relief efforts. General Manager Lee Royan says the support will be provided to people who are being evacuated because of floodwaters or their power being cut off. He says this support was offered during the Cudley Creek, Lowenthal and Kangaroo Island bushfires. The Infrastructure and Transport Department says a major Riverland road will be closed to heavy vehicles from Friday night. Book Penong Road, which connects Berry to Loxton, will become a single lane road for all other traffic from Friday night. Road Maintenance Director Mick Loren says traffic lights will be installed to help the flow of vehicles. And the State Government says an independent investigation will take place into a train crash on the Grange Line in Adelaide. A train ran through the barrier at the end of the line just before 7pm last night at the Grange Railway Station. 
The Transport Minister Tom Kutsantonis says that the Office of the National Rail Safety Regulator will look into what happened. More news at one o'clock. Thanks very much, Matt. Matt Coleman in the newsroom. Now, it's been five years since Australia agreed to halve its food waste by 2030. But how close are we to hitting that target? And what's it, what's being done to prevent food being wasted before it hits the supermarket shelves? Megan Hughes takes a closer look ahead of the National Summit. 7.6 million tonnes of food is wasted each year in Australia. That's the equivalent of filling semi-trailers lined up from Perth to Sydney. According to Dr Stephen Lappage, CEO of Fight Food Waste Limited, there's loss at each link of the food supply chain. We lose about a third of food at primary production stage. In in manufacturing, we waste uh, about a third at the household level and the other third is in between distribution in retail, in restaurants and so on. There's two peaks, but um, you know, there, there's other areas where there's still high levels of food waste like institutions and restaurants and there's no silver bullet for this. A number of solutions are being explored to reduce food waste at a primary production level, including upcycling. Upcycling is the process of converting food that would otherwise go to waste into new innovative food products. And actually, in Australia, one of our national iconic foods, Vegemite, is in fact an upcycled food. So it uses a byproduct from the beer making process, brewers' spent yeast, to create a new product. That's Francesca Goodman Smith, who works with the Fight Food Waste Cooperative Research Centre, leading the Transform Project, looking at how to turn waste into valuable products. We have worked with the Bow and Gumlu Growers Association and the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries to look at tomato and capsicum waste. So, a staggering amount of tomatoes get wasted every year in Australia. And they looked at transforming that surplus into. Uh, high-value extracts into dried powders and into beverages, so utilising all of that surplus product by creating a suite of new products from that. And how much of a difference has um, this value-adding, this upcycling made to reducing food waste in this particular area? So at the moment, the organisation is investigating uh, their customer base, who to partner with, uh, and they're also, you know, looking at the commercialisation steps. So what we've done through the research is prove that it's possible to create these products and develop the mechanisms to do so. But the next steps are really around connecting the parts of supply chain to operationalise that. Francesca Goodman-Smith from the Fight Food Waste Cooperative Research Centre. This isn't the sole solution. Work is being done to prevent wasted food rather than trying to rehome it. As RMIT School of Design Associate Professor Simon Lockery explains. When we design out food waste, we actually stop the waste happening through a design lens. So whether that's about designing new supply chains, whether that's about designing new processing or manufacturing contexts, whether it's about designing new consumer uh, tools or behavioural infrastructure so that they have a better chance of not wasting food in their homes or also food service. What are some examples of where a change in design has resulted in minimising or completely reducing getting rid of food waste? A good example is with bananas. Uh, we transport those from Queensland down to you know, the main markets in Sydney and Melbourne, they're the you know, biggest sales markets for the banana producers in Queensland. Uh, they have designed tertiary, secondary and 
primary packaging systems within the trucks as well as in concert with the way in which temperature goes up and down and also designing it into all of that in line with the way that the banana is essentially asleep when it's green and trying to time it so that the ethylene that it produces doesn't happen too quickly so that the bananas stay asleep based on the temperature you've designed through the journey, the way the air flows through the different packaging systems and indeed the way that the trucks are designed <laughs> so they don't bump and, and the packaging sort of retains the bananas in place so that when they get to, say, a Yarraville DC in Victoria, just out of the main CBD of Melbourne, those bananas are in the best possible condition. RMIT School of Design Associate Professor Simon Lockrie. So with this focus around reducing food waste, will Australia be able to meet its target of halving food waste by 2030? Dr Lappage again. The modelling has shown that we can. Now that will require substantially higher effort than what we're currently putting in. That means that uh, all states and territory governments, all businesses as much as possible need to get involved uh, in the process. It requires consumers to really play their part. Dr Stephen Lappage, CEO of Fight Food Waste Limited, finishing that report from Megan Hughes. Now, winemakers from Victoria's King Valley were in Canberra yesterday to brief parliamentarians and meet the Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt on the importance of the Prosecco grape variety. The industry is fighting the European Union over the right to use the name Prosecco, with producers potentially being forced to take the word off their labels. Italy is trying to claim exclusive rights over the name Prosecco, similar to how champagne winemakers in the French region have a monopoly on the name under the rules of appellation. Now, I want to hear from you what do you think if we can't use the word prosecco what would you like it to be called what sort of name do you think would work send me a text on 0467 922891 now Pazzini wines is one of the producers that represented at the meetings annie brown spoke to owner and winemaker alfred Pazzini about the aim of the meetings it really is a meeting to, to try and secure the name the use of the name prosecco internationally not just in australia but internationally so um, it's, it's going to be some interesting meetings. Managed to, um, through with the help of Helen Haynes, to meet uh, the Mr. Murray Murray Watts, which was a, which was amazing if you think about it. Um, apart from that, then I'll be meeting with a lot of other other people, independents, Greens, um, Liberals, Labor, wouldn't matter to try and get that message across when they go into the free trade agreements that they don't trade the name Prosecco away for some other products. So we have been talking about this issue for a few years now. Um, You said it goes back to even before COVID, which feels like a a very long time ago when we say that. But why now these these meetings up in Canberra? Well, Annie, we've met a couple of times now. It's not just that this is not the first meeting that's happened in Canberra. There was a delegation went through pre-COVID to meet again with with the politicians so it's really it's been an ongoing conversation with the not only with government but obviously with the with the italian consortiums that that are trying to stop the use of the name prosecco internationally so it it just hasn't happened i think this is probably coming to a pinnacle to a final conversation because of the free trade arrangements that are being negotiated as we speak and i think they're trying to finalise that over the last six months. So um, it's pretty important to, 
to get into the into into that space with the politicians to hopefully they'll support the argument of the free use of an actual grape variety. So can you explain what it would mean for the wine industry and perhaps even your bus- your own business as well if the name Prosecco was no longer allowed to be used here in Australia? I think in the short term it'd be it'd be very uh, uh, I think it'd be economically damaging without a doubt. Probably over a period of time there's a chance that we might work our way through that. But I, I think I think we've got to be careful. We're not allowed. To, we're not allowed to give any ground because it's it's the use of the name of a great variety. I think, Annie, and that's important. As far as you know, yeah. How much cost? Good, good question. I think it'd be pretty devastating, to be honest. What would it be called if it was banned? Would it have another name, or would you call it Australian Prosecco? Or well, there's 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 two alternatives. The Italians are trying to trying to make us use the name Glera. And Glera is a, is another clone of um, of Prosecco or, or Australian Prosecco. They're the two things that they've been trying for us to support. But you know, with our with Wine Australia and, and and with the producers, we weren't prepared to accept either one of them. I guess what's in a name, though, Fred, um, would the product wouldn't really change. But I guess not having the word Prosecco on it would it really stop people from from buying it and consuming Prosecco? Probably could. I think you know the name Prosecco is just a beautiful, just a beautiful marketing term, I suppose. And and you know the, the, everyone everyone knows it as Prosecco. I know that in our case we do a little bit of export into Japan, into 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 the EU, into London, and we can't use we cannot use the name Prosecco. It has to be called Glera. We can't even put Australian Prosecco on there at this current time. So there's already there's already um, some you know difficulties in getting into 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 markets overseas. With the, with the name Prosecco. I think one of the problems that we were having or potentially will have is, you know, a lot of the export of Prosecco goes through through the Singapore ports. If we lose that naming right, there's a very good chance that we'll lose the opportunity of being able to send Prosecco through the, the Singapore um, trades as Prosecco to any country that might want to use it. I guess to look more locally now at the King Valley, you know, Prosecco and the King Valley is sort of synonymous with each other. What is the significance of Prosecco to that region of, of winemaking? I think significance is, you know, there's been some really big investments made in that variety, in vineyards and in, in, in production. And obviously there's, there's a, a lot of employment that has come out of it over the last 10 or 15 years that the variety has been, you know, growing in the King Valley itself. So it's quite significant. At, what can I say? Probably production currently would probably be at least twenty five percent of our production of the valley. In your time, Fred, how have you seen the demand for prosecco grow over the last few years? Oh, it's been quite huge. You know what I mean? I think we're reaching. We, 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 I think the valley needs to plant at least forty or fifty hectares of prosecco each year to keep up with the demand, which which is which is a lot of not a lot of fruit. It's about two hundred fifty three hundred ton of fruit a year production. What's important is um, to get across is the, it's, it's, it's a great variety. Um, you know, we've got varieties like Nero Diablo, Vermentino, Nebbiolo, Sangiovese, um, which, which, are, uh, uh, which are very important grape varieties in Australia. So, so we're really arguing the case to make sure that, um, that they do listen, that we, if we lose one, there's a very good chance we'll lose all of them. That was Alfred Pizzini, winemaker from the King Valley, speaking to Annie Brown. And I put the call out for 
What uh, what would you call Prosecco if it does have to have its name changed here in Australia? We've had lots of texts come through. Mick from Elizabeth Park called in. He calls champagne bubble plonk and thinks Prosecco could be called Fizzgrog, very South Aussie. We've also had some texts, uh, one from Anne. Uh, we could call Prosecco Conseco. Think of the pros and cons. Well done, uh, Anne. Uh, Nuz from Port Lincoln. Hi, Brooke. What about Perfecto as a name? Uh, Carolina Allgate suggests Ozeco. Uh, there's a few other texts here. Australian sparkling, you could call it not Prosecco, which is very obvious. Uh, Delicioso, or you could name it sparkling names after regions. Coonawarra, sparkling, McLaren Vale, sparkling, etc., etc. Another suggestion for Osbreco. And um, oh, what else have we got here? Prosecute from Gabrielle. How about making it more ochre from Greg? Prozocker, Prozeca. Maybe Prozocco, Greg. And uh, then we've got another one come through. Prosecco is a variety. If we have to call it Australian Prosecco, then why shouldn't they have to call it Italian Prosecco? That's uh, that another text come through. And obviously we know that Prosecco is a variety. We're having a bit of fun today with some creative names for Prosecco. Brooke Neindorf with you. It's a quarter to one. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, it's not just Australia's potato industry that's having supply issues this season. Over in North America and Europe, drought and the high cost of growing the crop has also reduced their production, which means there's less frozen fries available to export. Larissa Smith spoke to Rabobank analyst Pia Piggott about some of the market challenges. Over in the US and in Europe, potato production has been um, on the decline. We've had the pandemic, inflation and drought. They've all caused low supply and high prices. So at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a sudden drop in demand for uh, the frozen French fries used in food service. And there was contract forfeitures. And this caused the prices um, to decline, at least in the US, by around 12%. That um, along with the droughts, um, caused acreage competition in the US and in, in the EU as well, where uh, the high prices of other agricultural commodities meant that farmers were going away from growing uh, potatoes. So there was a decline in uh, the acreage towards um, growing potatoes. And then the dry and the drought conditions also led to decreased yields. So there's been lower production because of that. And because over the pandemic, the, you know, the demand in the food service recovered quickly, uh, that led to, you know, a spike in demand as well. And that's led to these high prices. Where are things up to in the season uh, in the US and in Europe? We're planting in uh, Australia at the moment. What's happening over there? Yeah, so in the US, um, the harvest is wrapping up right now. We've seen that the supply has been a little bit lower uh, or the production has been a little bit lower year on year, um, but prices are quite high at the high historical highs we've seen um, in October, roughly around 33% higher year on year. And this is expected to remain elevated, but possibly soften um, with the new um supply coming with the new crop. And with the harvest that's just happened, what has production been like in terms of tonnes compared to previous years? Uh, was it was it a good year? Uh, yeah, so it, overall production was lower year on year, estimating around 2 to 3% reduction, but uh, last year was also a low year. So over the past two years, there's been um, yeah a decline in production. So has America had to import potatoes to cover a possible shortfall? 
Yeah, so they have been importing um, potatoes from places like Canada. So what's the story in the UK and Europe? Yeah, so Europe is also going through a drought. So that's also putting pressure on yields. Uh, We're also seeing there's quite a high inflationary pressure for growers, uh, high fertilizer prices. And there's also a lot of uh, acreage competition because uh, other crops that uh, such as wheat, um, the prices of them have quite increased. So there's that acreage competition that we're dealing with, which is um, decreasing the you know total acreage um, available for growing potatoes in the EU. And that's led to higher prices in the EU as well. So what's the scenario for the key potato exporters? These are the, the countries that would export processed potatoes that would be you know french fries or or, or frozen chips how much production is floating around for some of those countries so our top four importers are the netherlands belgium the us and new zealand and the us and uh, the european countries have had the drought conditions and lower production so there is going to be higher prices to export we've seen in the us um, shipping point prices as of october around 33 percent higher um, so that's going to you know, lead to higher prices in Australia and in their other exporting countries. Pia Pigott is an associate analyst with Rabobank, speaking there with Larissa Smith. Now, in recent weeks, you've heard about the stock losses that have been happening in Victoria and New South Wales due to flooding. This isn't just having an impact on large animals, though, like sheep and cattle. A beekeeper has lost around 360 hives due to flooding on the Hay Plains. Achuka Moama beekeeper Bradley Jackson says it's wiped out 30% of his production. And he told Kelly Hollingworth it's the most challenging season he has faced. It's been hard watching when you can't get to them and the water is, um, keeps rising and you're trying to pull them out of the water and you can't. It's pretty heartbreaking watching your stock um, drown like that, I suppose you could say. This on the Hay Plains. Um, that's the most significant part I've had out there and the flooding has been rising faster than I can get to them. Um, the rain, it's rained that much. The countries that wet the ground that you can't actually move some places, can't drive trucks or loaders, even walking there. Are any more of the hives that you've got at risk, do you think? If it continues to rise in um, places, yeah, there'll be a lot more, yeah. A lot more hives um, of these will be um, affected, yeah, most definitely. Are you looking at trying to relocate them or is it too late to do that? Uh, We've been trying to do that the best we can. We'll consistently keep at it until we can get them all out to higher ground. A lot of um, farmers, I will say, have been really, really helpful. You know, close contact with me and that just letting us know that it's coming better, it's higher, you know, the bank might bust and actually helping us try to uh, get the stock out, so which has been good. You were telling me earlier that you feel like you've been chased by floodwaters. So where did your first challenges with rising rivers and rainfall come from? Uh, from the Darling River. I um, started up there at the start of the season. As you know, the Darling River has been a flood. There's a lot of water up there there's been. And it just as I uh, moved away from it, and again, it rained and rained up there on the Darling River earlier in the season, and um, it's... I, trying to move them to get away from there, which we did. We lost no hives at all up there, luckily. Very, very lucky I was. And as we've come down, each river has just risen again and again and again due to the rain. So, yeah, that's just it's chased me from the Darling River, I suppose, to the Murray. Are these hives that you've lost insured? They are insured, but not for flood water. Are you likely to try and replace them? Yeah, I will try to replace them, which I will, um, as the... Uh, Water receipts will get what's uh, recoverable, which most probably nothing really will be out of them. The boxes will be uh, all waterlogged and cracked. 
So when they dry out, so I'll uh, yeah, most definitely try and um, rebuild them immediately as soon as the water goes. Now, Echuca, where you're based, was in strife last month because of flooding. Did you have any problems with your beehives there? Yeah, no, not in Echuca we didn't. No, uh, Echuca, Moema. No, no, none whatsoever. I made sure they're on high ground. Some water did get underneath the pallets of the hives, but not enough to uh, flood the hives out. And it's been a hugely challenging year for beekeepers. Uh, the discovery of Varroa mite over on the New South Wales coast resulted in different states locking down their borders and making it really difficult for beekeepers to move hives to almond pollination and things like that. Did that affect you as well? Yes, it, uh, the almond pollination yeah, did affect us. We could only take so many hives to certain um, areas, some hives in Victoria, some in New South Wales, so you can't bring them over. So, yeah, it did affect, it did affect us heavily in respect to pollination or the spring this year. And I think it's done a lot of beekeepers. The industry has seen a lot of dark days, a few more dark ones to come, I'm pretty sure. But for the general beekeepers in um, Victoria and New South Wales, and I will say South Australia, we're all battling, even Queensland, are battling the odds of the season for our mite, which is, I will say is heavily impacting us, what we can and can't do, which puts the honey, um, the beekeeping industry, I'll say, in jeopardy in lots of areas for the commercial ones because we're battling the floods, varroa mite, some beekeepers' horrific loss of honey for this year. Like at least uh, most beekeepers I've talked to have said they'll be down 50 cent or more in production from Gunnedah down to south coast over to the South Australian border, lots of beekeepers. That's just for people that I know reporting back to me what they reckon. I'd say about 70% um, loss of production will be down this year ourselves. You've been in the industry for nearly 34 years. Is this the most challenging season you've faced? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say that. Yeah, yeah this one would be. Uh, my father talked in 1974 about the floods then and the droughts and the stuff had gone over the years. And like I've been in the industry a long time. I've seen a lot of things come and go. I'm pretty sure I'll see a few more come and go before I'm finished. But this would have to be, for me, one of the most challenging ones the times are in now. I'm quite sure most other beekeepers would be in the same boat, would have to agree with me on that one. That was a Chuka Moama beekeeper, Bradley Jackson, speaking with Kelly Hollingworth. Now, Yumba Aquaculture has taken home its third consecutive win at the recent South Australian Premier's Food and Beverage Awards. Yumba received the Export Award for businesses with more than 15 full-time employees. CEO of Yumba, David Wood, says the award has been even more significant with many difficulties faced with exports this last 12 months, including access to shipping containers. But he says it's exciting to be recognised again. We obviously take great pride in the product and... uh our team is working hard out on the farms and in the processing and the sales area to achieve that. So it's a great credit to them and uh, great for the business. This award was for export. Tell us what it was that uh, that impressed the judges. Uh, look, I think, you know, particularly in a COVID environment, to be able to get our product out into the markets that we have and to be able to grow our export volume has probably been a standout from our perspective and that's probably what the judges have recognised. For our product, we export about two-thirds of the abalone that we grow, so it's a very important part of our uh, business makeup. What has export been like the last 12 months? Look, the demand for the product has been has been strong, which is great. You know, that's a testament to, to what we're growing, but... It has been challenging, particularly you know, with supply chain disruptions, the ability to find containers to 
to get the product to the customers on time. So, you know, we have uh, probably air freighted a bit more product than what we uh, typically would have preferred to, but that's all about meeting the, the needs of our customers and, um, you know, making sure that consumers get to taste the, a fantastic uh, piece of abalone at the end of the day. How much does air freight change the uh, input costs? Uh, look, it certainly added um, a bit to the overall logistics cost of the business. Uh, I can't give you a precise number off the top of my head, but, you know, when we look at it, it it's still a small cost relative to the value of keeping our customers happy. In terms of the containers, has that improved the second half of the year? Yeah, look, we're certainly seeing that, uh, that there is far more capacity on, on shipping lines now and, you know, container availability is improving. Uh, you know, we're starting to see some of the the costs come back a, a bit. Nowhere near to pre-COVID levels, but, you know, we're certainly uh, starting to see an improvement in that supply chain makeup. Does an award like the one you've just received for export, do buyers look at that and does that improve what you can sell? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's certainly part of the credentials of the product that we're delivering and, and, you know, the quality of service that we provide, and that does give our customers confidence. I think, you know, it's also, you know, brings us into the broader South Australian produce category, being part of the, you know, South Australia Premier's Food and Beverage Awards. So we get the halo benefit of uh, the great product that's produced by all the other companies here in South Australia as well. And locally, David, how is uh, our product going? Uh, still popular in Australia as well? Uh, yes, it is. It's growing in, in popularity here as you know, we uh, see more and more people starting to, to try it. And um, you know, uh, personally, uh, my consumption of the products increased a bit in recent times as I've found new recipes to use. So hopefully some of your listeners will uh, search it out and give it a try. Abalone is probably one of those uh, seafood products that maybe not a lot of people know about. Are you finding, though, that it's getting out there more um, and people are trying it more? Yeah, look, it certainly is. You're starting to see it featured on a number of restaurant menus nowadays, which I think gives people the opportunity to taste it, and that then gives them the confidence to to, uh, try the product. It is a, a fantastic product. It is you know, very versatile in terms of how you can use it. Um, so, you know, I, I, as I say, I encourage people to give it a try and not be scared of it. CEO of Yumba Aquaculture, David Wood. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks very much for uh, for joining me. You can jump online to ABC dot net dot au slash rural there's plenty of great stories getting around you can get all the latest from uh, from the floods from right across the country there's also a story that's just gone up today uh, the court has dismissed a 53 million dollar hendra vaccine side effects class action by horse owners so you can jump online and read more about that one as well and cassie half will be back with you tomorrow for all the latest from right around the country i'm brooke Nindorf. thanks very much for your company Leading news and current affairs. There are so many ways to keep informed. On air. Online. On the ABC Listen app. ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.